Super excited to be here with you guys today. Um, Psalm 8, as we've been going through the Psalms, um, it's amazing Psalm. And I hope you will be able to see God's glory on display. And we're surrounded by God's glory every day. I mean, just, just look at it today. I mean, the mountains behind me, just the backdrop of that is amazing, right? And obviously, we can feel the sun beating down on us. But that's God's glory, right? I was telling Eric and Mark a couple weeks ago, I said, you know what? This would be a good psalm to preach at night because a lot of this is reflected around the moon and the stars. But we're here this morning in the hot sun, so we'll have to use our imaginations for that. It gives us a glimpse all right. Still can't hear me. Now we good? All right, do I have to start over at the beginning or do you have to get off? <laughs> yeah, Psalm, Psalms gives us a glimpse into how God's glory is put on display. Uh, Spurgeon actually described this psalm as the song of the astronomer. That it would be nice if we could read this passage and do it at, at night, but we're going to do it right now. So I want to, as we go through it this morning, I want to show two things in how God's glory is displayed. And we'll get to those. And even more so... We, as finite man, fit into this wonderful picture of So I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 8 this morning. Psalm 8. And when we read this psalm, we begin to gain a proper perspective of seeing and viewing God in his creation and in man, in us, that he's created through this perspective. It gives us a lens to be able to view ourselves in relation to this world and in view of creation which God has made for us and the purpose of it and why it exists. And this psalm gives a vivid picture of who God is and what he's done in relating to our world and to him, mixed with complete joy and awe. So let's read it together. Psalm 8 says, How majestic is your name to the choir master getteth a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, name in all earth you have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes and to still the enemy and the avenger when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I hope it was obvious to you as you reread that, that there's a couple verses that you maybe stuck out to you. Namely, the first and the last verse, right? Those are exact same verbiage. And they create the bookends to what is said throughout this whole chapter. And to properly understand the psalm, I think you have to grasp these, these verses. So 
it sees that, that David, he begins and ends with praise. And that's exactly what he does. He's showing the adoration over the nature and the name of who God is. When we read, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, this should clue us to pay attention. And it must be the primary theme because it was mentioned twice in just nine verses. So let's look at this repeated phrase. So what's so significant about the word Lord mentioned twice? But they look different, right? So the first mention of Lord is capital, right? Capital L-O-R-D. And the second is lowercase. In the Old Testament, you may be aware that capital L-O-R-D is referencing to Yahweh, which is the most common name for God in relation to his people, to Israel. And if you think back in Exodus chapter 3, God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, right? And God told Moses, he, he, Moses was going to be the one to deliver the people out of Israel. And Moses said to the Lord, you know, who should I tell them that sent me? And what did God say? The Lord said to Moses, tell them I am who I am has sent you. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. So that's the first Lord that David's referencing here. The second, the lowercase, is a reference to Adonai, which is God's kingship and his ruling authority over all creation, which is the sovereign one, the king. So Yahweh is the name of God, and Adonai is the title. So you think of it like this. We don't have kings in America, but you can think of the term like King Edward, right? It was the title and then the name. So David opens up this psalm, recognizing God, who he was, right? There's no beginning to God. He's who he is now. He's absolute reality and who he is to come. He's the sovereign king over everything. A God who's independent. Everything that is not God depends totally on him. And the universe is just secondary to God. And we'll look at that in a minute. God is constant. Yet on top of all that, oh Lord, what does David say? He says, our Lord. Right? And when we read, this is our Lord today. We can praise him today for being the king of our lives. He is our Lord, and David writes, how majestic is your name in all the earth? And a name means so much, right? Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's who David is recognizing here. And he's making the statement and recognizing the position and the authority of God. God is the foundation of everything. And we need to have the right understanding of who God is, right? We can't keep reading this or know anything about it unless we understand who God is. Apart from a right understanding of God, we cannot rightly view the world around us. Apart from a right understanding of God, we cannot rightly understand yourself, even within the realm of creation. And apart from a right understanding of God, without it, you'll be left with confusion. So God is the starting point of all things. Do you have a high view of God? Do you recognize his absolute authority in your life today and over everything he's created for us? All right, so let's keep moving on. So in uh, one, David continues to be amazed, and he said, you have set your glory above the heavens. Above the heavens is beyond our realm, beyond anything we can even think of. It's greater, above the heavens, above the... First uh, Peter 3.22 says, angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. And it also references glory, which we'll get to a later in a little bit in verse 5. It talks about crowned with glory. But verse 1 is speaking of this glory that is 
above the heavens. So keep that in mind as we recognize that this glory is magnificent and in power beyond our realm of what we can even understand. So let's move on to verse 2. It says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. So here we can clearly see that, that the Lord's power and strength has been established, even to babies and infants. You know, when you look at the grass universe, and then he brings it back down to babies and infants, right? Babies have, they have no control, no guidance, no direction. They can't speak. They're so dependent. But even so, we can still see God's strength and glory in that. And it's clear to everyone here that you can recognize that in a baby, this is true of all aspects of babies, the way a child's been made and how they point to God, not to an existence that came from a series of events which occurred over billions of years. Right? This is a creation of God. This, clear, this verse also makes it clear that God has enemies, but the glories, glorious promise here given is that his established strength will be forever, and it says that he will still the enemy and the avengers, meaning they will be defeated. So how does this fit into seeing God's glory on display? That's just kind of the introduction before we can actually get into seeing what God's glory is. David recognizes who God is. He's the Lord with power and strength and might. He's the Lord of everything. But he's not contained in the creation. Not even the heavens that he's made. He's above them, right? But now he turns to showing his glory on display. So let's read on and we'll find the first way in which God's glory is on display. And that's in his creation. And he could be made for it. So God's glory on display in creation. Let's read verses 3 and 4 again. It says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This is an unbelievable section of scripture. It's just a small sentence, but let's dive into it a little bit. David says, when I look or when I consider at the start of this verse, this is him meditating as he contemplates the works of creation, their harmony, the splendor, the motion, the influence of how it causes him to have these amazing thoughts. So I can't say for certain, but I'm pretty sure David probably wrote this down in the middle of the night. You know, you can see him sitting out in a field, the quiet, the still of the night, as he pens these words. One commentator wrote, It seems to have been at night that the piety of the psalmist was awakened by this contemplation, when the moon and the stars were visible, and not when the sun had risen in its strength and thrown a splendor around him, which bore down and eclipsed all the lesser glories of the firmament. It's also interesting to point out that we know that the moon and stars were not just thrown up randomly. Right? It says, this is the work of your fingers, which the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, carefully orchestrated in the sky above. They're put there by design. And a design requires a designer. And that designer is God. And God put them into creation. And this is shown back in Genesis. Genesis 1, 16 through 18. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Uh, actually, verse 14 says, and God said. And then 16 says, and God made the two lights, the greater light, to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God said, and they set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw 
that it was very that it was good. So I'm sure you've all been in a situation where you've been, you know, free from the smog, free from unnatural light, free from the noise, and when you look up in the stars, you stand there in utter amazement. So I've spent quite a few nights outside, not as many as I would like, but I've spent a few nights backpacking and camping. And one night in particular that will always be burned in my mind was we were making a a big backpack trip across the Sierra Nevadas. And it was a week-long trip, about 70 miles, and we went um, from west to east. And our end goal was to summit Mount Whitney. So if you're familiar with Mount Whitney, it's up on the 395. It's the highest peak in the lower 48s, just lower 14,000 feet. And so the, the night before we were going to summit, we camped at a little lake called Guitar Lake. And if you look it up on Google Earth, it actually looks like a guitar. And we were camped at just under 12,000 feet. And so you're above any smog, any unnatural light for miles and miles. And we set my tent up, the sun sinks down in the west, you begin to see stars come out one by one. As it gets darker and darker, you're just amazed. Like, you can't even keep track of it, right? You're just mesmerized by it. And, you know, then you can start to see kind of the Milky Way and how it almost looks like a cloud because there's so many stars. And I remember quoting these verses in my head, and, you know, you look up, and it's just like, this is the work of God's fingers, his artwork on display. So let's try to wrap our minds a little farther around that. Okay, we know that the universe is big, but take this into consideration. So I know you get some conflicting numbers, so take this a little bit because we're going to be talking millions and trillions here. But So stepping out on a clear night, you can see approximately three to 4,000 stars. Okay, if it's really clear out, you know, you see the Milky Way galaxy and our Milky Way galaxy in reference to all the other galaxies uh, astronomers have discovered is actually quite small. But our galaxy is considered to be one of the smaller ones, and it's estimated that there's two trillion galaxies. And within each one of those galaxies is an estimated 100 billion stars. So if you multiply those two together, you get one, I don't even know how to pronounce that, but it'd be one with 23 zeros after it. And that's just what we can see here. And it's just amazing, the billions and trillions of stars. And then if you look at each star and the vast size of that, Remember, it goes back in Genesis when he said he created the moon. And then in my Bible, it has a little dash. Then it says, and the stars. Just a little thing. <laughs> and what's amazing, in Isaiah 40, 26, this is a really neat verse. You can write it down. Isaiah 40, 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not missing one. He knows each of them by name. Try to wrap your hand around that. This sets a picture of the unbelievable power and might and strength of our creator who formed these with his fingers. This is the work of God, the heavens and all of its grandeur. And pales in comparison to actually who God is. And should point us to God. And even with all of its amazement, it cannot contain the glory of God. So I'm sure you've been in that situation where you stand there, you know, and you look up. What does it make you feel like? You feel like, oh, man, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. All these billions of stars, you know, there's seven and a half billion people in the world. I, I feel pretty good about myself. I feel really huge. No, right? It, it limits us. It makes us feel 
so small and so insignificant, right? But this is not what David is saving. It's actually the opposite. David stands in amazement at the night sky, and he poses this question. In verse 4, he said, What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Remember the verse that we just read in Isaiah? Right? He talks about he knows all these billions of stars by name. But in the wonder and vastness of creation, he reflects on the truths of this marvelous thing that God is actually mindful and cares for men. It's an amazing creation, the world and the universe. And the psalmist is focusing more on the truth of God and the creator of all things. He even cares for man. All this amazing creation does not have more wonder in it than any one of us sitting here today. Think about it. When God created everything but man, how did he create it? What did he do? He spoke it into existence. And God said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. Right? But how did he create us? Right? We were created in the image of God. In Genesis 1.27, it talks about how we're created in the image of God. So what does this mean, the image of God? The, John Piper says this about what it means to be created in the image of God. He says, quote, The image of God is not a quality possessed by man. It is a condition in which man lives, a condition of confrontation established and maintained by the creator. The image of God is that in man which constitutes him as him who loves God, end quote. Humankind was created to be a graphic image of the creator. Right? We're supposed to be a formal image, visible, and an understanding representation of who God is and what he's really like. When you try to think about it, it's just amazing that we're on God's mind. And not only that, he cares for us. This is so true in, in all of our lives, right? He cares for each one of us. It's wonderful that he should even give us a gracious look upon us. Considering the distance between God and us as this finite man. But man is a creator or creature, and God is the creator of all things. So no matter how frail and insignificant our life may be, God intervenes in our lives to set in motion the plan he has for us. This is true because we are not just any creature, as we will see in the next couple verses. So we see God's glory on display in creation, right? Specifically focusing here in this passage on the sky above us, the vast universe, and all the majesty in our earth. Describing the strength and the works of his fingers in creation. And after all that, we know that he cares for us. So as the psalm continues to go on, he doesn't stop there. He actually takes it a step further in even more deeper and glorious truth. And this comes to our second way in God's glory is displayed. And that's God's glory displayed in mankind. In mankind. Verse 5 says, You have been or you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. We noted above that we're created in God's image. But the key phrase here in this part of that verse is that we are crowned, or he has crowned him with glory and honor. Remember back to verse 1, the Lord, our Lord, has crowned man with glory. And remember that verse we read earlier about God's glory. Well, this is glory now that he's created in us. And in, it's amazing because the way we think about this and the fact that we're, we're all created this way, this could change your worldview and how you look 
Do you want to see God's glory? It's clear we can look around us today, and we can look at the mountains behind us, the trees. There's so many things that see our a reflection of his glory. But what about looking around us, right? Look at the person sitting next to you. They're crowned with glory and honor. And not just those, everyone you have contact with every day. When we view all mankind, every man, woman, children, with this issues that are tearing them apart today, they'll be demolished. It's important to see that God values human life. With this in mind, how do you view immigration status, the color of people's skin? That's pushed aside because we recognize that each person is crowned with the glory and honor. Racism is vile and repulsive, not because of feelings or emotions or movements that are going on today, but when we look and see the heart of the truth that all people are created in God's image. The amazing part is that this truth is true in every human life, regardless of what they look like or where they come from. And we value the sanctity of life. Abortion, in this case, it's recognized as destructive because we know that the Lord's strength is established out of the mouths of infants, which, is, which he said in verse 2. And out of those in need is changed when we realize that they're crowned with glory and honor. But it doesn't stop with the way we look at other people. How about we look at ourselves? God magnifies you and me in the work of creation. We don't need to be affirmed by those around us since we have been created by God. As you read Psalms, the psalm, you continue to just peel back layers and layers, and David goes deeper and deeper. And that's what he does again here in verses 6 and 8. So it's not that we're just crowned with this glory. That's a good statement. But what does that mean? Well, it comes with more responsibilities. So verse 6 and 8 says, 6 through 8 says, You have over the works of your hands, but put all things under his feet. Of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. It's so important that it won't, we don't get lost in our role in what it is here on this earth. We're not created just above the plants and the animals, right? Rather, we're created, what do you say, just below the angels. Man was and is magnified in creation today. That, that's to say that God's creation, described in verses 7 and 8, right? Remember, the command was originally given to Adam by God. Right after he created Adam in his image, Genesis 1:27, he says this in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, to man, be fruitful, and then multiply, and fill the earth, with, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was made to have dominion over creation. But this was damaged when sin entered the world. We have the right to rule and have dominion. We still do. But we don't have the right to be destructive to the things that God's created. And there can really be two extremes on how you view creation and the things that are around us, right? You have, you have one side that today puts emphasis more on the priority of the plants and the animals and the other creation, which, which is very important, but you don't want to elevate that above what God has created us to do. 
But then you have those on the opposite side having the mindset of, you know, there's nothing we can do. You know, nature's just going to take its course and just be destructive of what God's given us. No, not at all. We understand that the damage of sin, of damage from sin that the world that we live in, that we don't have complete domination over the world or the things that are around us. But there's no movement or organization today that can restore the original creation of what God intended it to be. We must realize that we have to be good stewards of what's God given us. And we need to be able to say that we can enjoy the things that God has given us, right? Because we can see his glory through it. We serve the creator and not the creation. But we can still enjoy what he's given us, right? We can, we can cut down trees. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can plant a new tree to grow for future generations to see. We can hunt. We can fish. We can go enjoy the harvest of our labor that we go out and do. But we need to be respectful because we are stewards of what he's given us. Because he's, he's placed us in authority. Charles Spurgeon, this is a good quote that, he, that I found. He said, every dish of fish and fowl that comes to our table is an instance of this dominion man has over the works of God's hands. And it's a reason of our subjection to God and our chief Lord into his dominion over us. And then David pulls it all together in verse 9, back again, and he says, he praises it, the Lord, with, and he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, as we've seen, this is done above the heavens in his power and his strength, in his creation, in the works of his hands, and in mankind. And we've seen that we have been crowned with this glory and we see that we are a reflection of, of who he is. So through our lives, his majesty is made known to all the earth as we live in a life to bring glory and honor to the Lord. The purpose of our life is much more than just going through the motions of this world, getting up, checking off the box, you know, get through the day, and do it all over again. There's a lot more than that. So with the truths of Psalm 8 that we read, what is the purpose of our life now? We're seeing we're given to be a a mission to be a reflection of who God is. And when you evaluate your heart, you may be thinking, how do I show glory? If I'm crowned with this glory, it might not feel that there's a lot of glory just pouring out from my life, even though we recognize that we are crowned with this glory. But do we have dominion over creation today? You know, there's a lot of things that are disrupting our creation, or not our creation, the creation that God has given to us. Because that's when sin entered the world. It brought this disruption. So how, that, does this mean that God's plan for dominion over creation is thwarted? How can I? How can I, as someone who's filled with imperfections, stained by sin, pride, and selfishness, be able to be a reflection of this holy, perfect, just God who has integrity and love and who is the creator of all things? So you may be thinking, man, up to this point, it was really good. You know, God's glory is just, man, we can see his glory. He created us. He's created, crowned us with glory and honor. But now it's like, man, where's our hope? Hope is gone. Like we live in this sinless, or we live in this sinful world. Does what we talk about not apply to our lives since we're not perfect and we're not emitting this perfect glory? Well, friends, this is the gospel message. This is the good news. I want you to turn to Hebrews 2. We're going to close in Hebrews 2. This is a, a great verse. 
or section of verses here. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, starting in verse 6. It says, It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. That sounds pretty familiar, right? That's Psalm 8. Author's writing this. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Right? Up to this point, that's, that's what we've covered. Right? There's, there's things that we still are, that are not subjected to us. But in verse 9, this is the key verse. It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We recognize we are lost. We are sinners against God. Yet God, out of his love for us, sent his son Jesus, who was made like us in the form of a man, made lower than the angels. Jesus became like us. Philippians 2 gives a great passage about that, how he humbled himself so that he could take our place as the ultimate suffering to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Right? Remember, death could not hold him. This is the God that created everything, the vast universe, everything that we see today. So death could not hold him as he rose from the dead. And why did he do this? Well, the end of verse 9 in Hebrews 2 is clear. It says, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone, for you and for me and for anyone who believes in the saving work of Jesus. And someday, he will bring creation back to its original order. So going back to Psalm 8, ask yourself this question when you reflect on how you've seen God's glory in display in creation and glory in yourself. And ask this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Is God your Lord? Who are you living for? For yourself? Or are you submitting to the God of all things, the creator of all things? He desires you, and he desires that you experience full life under him. Do you see God's glory on display in creation? I think we can. Do you see God's glory on display in mankind? It's very clear. But how about in yourself? Do you recognize that you are created in the image of the Almighty God and He's crowned you with glory? There's no human that has ever been created without this glory. But not everyone believes in the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You matter today because you bear God's image, which is in all the more reason to turn from your sin and to trust in Him. You're hearing today, if you're here today for the first time and you're hearing this for the first time and you want to be the Lord of your life, I invite you to call out to him to save you, to restore you because he desires that you follow him and that your glory, his glory will be seen in you. And if you're a believer today, praise the Lord. And may we take these words of Psalm 8, may we etch them in our hearts and our minds that we may live with a new purpose and view Realizing the amazing gift you have been given to us, that you've crowned us with glory and honor, and that we may, may we live a life that 
shows God's glory and put it on display. Let's pray. God, we have just seen just a small snapshot of who you are. But when we recognize that we can see your glory on display in creation, in the vast universe, the millions and billions and trillions of stars you created, we ask ourselves that question, how, how do you care for us? And it's amazing that you do. And even more than that, we recognize that your glory is on display in mankind and in our own lives. So God, I pray that we will be a reflection of that glory as we live our lives. May that encompass our worldview and how we look at others. God, we are thankful for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, knowing that we are not perfect, but knowing that we serve a savior who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, who is sovereign over all things. And I pray that we will give our lives to you and that we will hold these words of Psalm 8 deep in our hearts, that we will be a reflection of you and so that your glory will be on display. God, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word. In your name we pray, amen.